Welcome to episode 18 of China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. Today, we're going to be talking about some of the dramatic recent changes in the relationship between China and Germany. The mood between the countries has soured considerably since the start of 2021, especially since China imposed sanctions on some German individuals who'd criticized its policies in Xinjiang and Hong Kong. In the security sphere, the German Ministry of Defense is sending a destroyer to the South China Sea to bolster the US and its allies in challenging China. And many German companies are reconsidering their commitments following warnings about the theft of intellectual property by their Chinese business partners. Well, I'm delighted to welcome someone who I think is the ideal guest to discuss this topic. He's Professor Hans Maul, a senior associate fellow at the Mercator Institute for China Studies in Berlin. He also teaches as the adjunct professor in international relations and strategic studies at the John Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies in the Bologna Center. Hans, welcome to China in Context. Hello, Duncan. Could you start by saying something about the background? Germany and China have had a very good business relationship, it seems to me, stretching back many decades. I can remember that Volkswagen was one of the first investors in China back in the early 1980s. And in the past, German chancellors, including, I think, Chancellor Merkel, have seemed to regard China as a land of opportunity, haven't they? Yes, that's quite true. And I think you had some early pioneers there, both uh, on the political side and uh, in business, who during the 1970s already started uh, focusing on China as a huge opportunity. You know, you had uh, Karl Hahn, for instance, the CEO of Volkswagen in the 1980s, uh, who was recently made the person of the year in China by China Newsweek, apparently a very prestigious uh, annual uh, appointment. And he received that uh, recommendation personally at the age of 92, he traveled to China and you know, took this reward. The reward was because he was uh, uh, one of the first foreign investors in the Chinese car industry. And Chancellor Kohl traveled in 1984 already to China with him to open the first Volkswagen factory in China. That was 1984 already. And Chancellor Helmut Schmidt, who you know, in Germany is still revered as an elder statesman, he passed away, away only very recently, he was chancellor in the 1970s, from 1974 to 1982, and he was fascinated by China and, you know, continued to write and talk a lot about it, about China. And uh, Helmut Schmidt is a bit like the German Henry Kissinger, you know, an elder statesman with lots of practical experience, but also great strategic thinker. And he always, you know, pointed to China as the future. So there's a long tradition, both politically and in business to uh, seek a close relationship with China. Well, there's no doubt that China is a fascinating country, but the public mood has changed now, hasn't it? What's caused that? Do you think it was distrust over China's handling over the initial outbreak of coronavirus in Wuhan? I think Wuhan was only part of that story. Yes, it did play a role. It certainly accelerated the darkening of the image of China in Germany, if you like, or the dimming, I should say, perhaps rather, of the image of China in Germany. But it started earlier already 
uh, it uh, sort of reflects uh, the fact that China has pursued more assertive policies in many ways, both domestically and internationally, under the present leadership. So China's sharp power became more visible and the authoritarian and totalitarian or neo-totalitarian tendencies in domestic politics also became more visible. They certainly were more perceived, perceived more clearly by German audiences. So I would say over the last four or five years, gradually this uh, image of China in Germany and also in Europe overall has dimmed significantly and the Wuhan uh, uh, events and the COVID uh, pandemic has accelerated that and sharpened it, but it hasn't caused, I would argue. One should also say, however, there's a lot of sympathy uh, uh, and a uh, feeling of connectedness with China in many parts of German society. So it's not just uh, people taking a more somber view of China. There are others who are focused on the many practical ties at the grassroots, mostly commercial business ties really, but also others between China and Germany. Money talks in a way. And there's a lot of Chinese money in Germany nowadays. So I appreciate then there's a range of views and I don't want to overgeneralize, but what are German businesses saying now about China? Are they losing their enthusiasm? Well, yes and no. I think what you see in business and you have to realize there are several hundred uh, German companies, both large and uh, medium-sized uh, active in China, invested in China. I think what you have is a shift to a more realistic assessment of China and the Chinese market. And there is a certainly growing concern about intellectual property theft, about the ways in which China, by means fair and unfair, uh, and I am talking here about the government, is supporting Chinese competitors of German businesses uh, in China. So the mood has become more realistic, I would say, less uh, optimistic, less enthusiastic, perhaps. But at the same time, there's also among many uh, 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 companies in Germany, uh, practically among all who are invested there, the sense that you cannot miss on the opportunities of the Chinese market in the future. It's still, uh, you know, you have to be there as a German company, you do not have an alternative. Uh, so in that sense, it's no longer perhaps enthusiasm, but there's a clear determination to continue uh, to engage with the Chinese market and even expand Germany's uh, role in it if possible. In early 2019, the German business group, the BDI, published a paper which contained a lot of warnings about doing business in China. People say that was a watershed moment. Has there been a reduction in trade and investment between Germany and China since then? No, in fact, on the contrary, uh, except, you know, if you take, uh, uh, put aside the year 2020, which was a bit unusual because of the pandemic. Uh, in 2020, German exports to China declined slightly, uh, but imports continue to grow. So uh, if you look at the trade relationship, if you look at the investment relationship, it's certainly not been uh, a decline, but a further increase. But then, you know, you're quite right to emphasize the importance of this paper, of this study by the BDI, by the German Business Association. Uh, but the study uh, really, I think the importance of this study lay in what I said earlier. It underlined, uh, underlined the new uh, realistic assessment 
uh, of German business of the Chinese market and China's economic system. So it was very clear in the problems uh, that implied for German business uh, in China. Uh, but it did not draw the conclusion from that the German business should withdraw from China. On the contrary, the basic argument, the basic thrust of the recommendations of this BDI paper was we need to be aware that this is becoming an increasingly difficult uh, market, but we also need to make sure that we can compete effectively in it. So the uh, recommendations address Germany, not China, most of them anyway. They were about how to become more competitive in the Chinese market. And in part, the answer was by being less blue-eyed about things such as intellectual property theft and so on. Well, thank you. That's useful analysis. Since becoming the Chancellor in 2005, Angela Merkel has travelled to China a dozen times, I think. And her last visit with a big business delegation was in September 2019. And that was a time when there was an international outcry against the crackdown against the pro-democracy uh, campaigners in Hong Kong. How would you describe Angela Merkel's approach to China? Well, I think she's always been accompanied by huge business delegations when she traveled to China. And as you say, I mean, she has been a frequent visitor. And China is one of the very few countries with which Germany has regular government-to-government -government consultations. So where you have practically the whole cabinet of ministers, or many of them anyway, meeting with the opposite sides. So the relationship is very, very close politically, uh, but the main purpose of this always has been business. Uh, and I think uh, Angela Merkel's uh, view of China is still covered by her sense, by her conviction, that the Chinese market and the business, the commercial economic relationship with China is paramount. It is the major theme of the relationship between the two countries. And her view is uh, politics, the chancellor has to do what she can to support this relationship, and which is important not only for the profit bottom lines of the corporations in Germany, but also for unemployment and the overall performance of, German and of the German economy. So that's her focus, and I think that has not changed. I'm not uh, sure to what extent her uh, sort of perception of Chinese politics, you know, you mentioned the uh, uh, Hong Kong situation, the crackdown uh, against the democracy movement. She certainly knows this, she's certainly aware of this, how much it colors her image of China, I really don't know. But as I said, I think for her, the priority number one, two, and three are the commercial ties. Well, staying with those human rights issues, I want to ask you something about Xinjiang and China's treatment of the Uyghur minority. Um, I don't want to get drawn into a debate about whether or not this is a, a massive human rights abuse. But of course, you will have noticed that the international media, when they've been reporting on Xinjiang, they discuss allegations of genocide. They talk about concentration camps. Are those phrases being used in the German media? How's this issue playing out in Germany? That's a very interesting question, Duncan. Uh, and of course, one uh, particularly to a German, it's always uh, something which uh, sets us into a reflective mood. But first on Xinjiang, I think there are really two debates, aren't there? There is one 
a debate about are there massive human rights violations or are there not? And that debate really is between, on the one side, uh, the Chinese government, which is claiming there is nothing wrong there, uh, and you know, uh, pretty overwhelming evidence that there is quite a bit wrong with the way um, the uh, central government uh, operates in Xinjiang. And then the second debate is about genocide. You know, is what's happening there, can that be characterized as a genocide or not? Now, in Germany, uh, yes, uh, there is, the, you know, this debate is reported. The term genocide is used in the reporting. You know, for instance, uh, recently the Dutch parliament uh, of, uh, decided that indeed what was happening in Xinjiang was uh, genocide. That was reported in the German media, of course, and the term genocide was used. Uh, always with the associations in Germany uh, to Germany's past and the Holocaust, of course. Um, and the same with concentration camp, but I think uh, the, the term is used occasionally to describe what's happening in Xinjiang. But I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure of this. This is my impression, and one would have to do some serious research uh, to substantiate that. But my impression would be that you see those terms, gen genocide and concentration camps, used somewhat less in Germany in the media coverage of China than in other countries because of this sensitivity of those terms. They are loaded words in a way which always you know, bring up the German past and Germany's history during the Nazi period. Things are changing in Germany. It's the end of an era politically. Chancellor Merkel will not be standing in the elections which are due to take place in the autumn of 2021. Can you say something about the significance of China and the debate about China in the run-up to those elections and maybe explain the views being expressed by the different political parties, please? My sense is that China will not be a very important topic in the campaign. I mean, there are other issues which are uh, you know, much more important, much more visible. Uh, the pandemic, the overall economic situation, the performance of the government during the pandemic and so on. Those are the, the issues which are going to dominate the campaign as far as one can say that at this time. Um, but China may come up, the issue may come up occasionally. It's not something which is completely outside the scope of politics. Um, and I think you can expect the next Bundestag, the next German parliament and the next government, which almost certainly will again be a coalition government, whatever it will look like, to be more critical of China than this government now. At the same time, I think any German government, any German Bundestag even, uh, will be uh, impressed by the huge economic importance of China for Germany, which we talked about earlier on. And that will color uh, the positions taken by any government uh, on China. Uh, now, if you look at the party spectrum, the parties which are most pro-business and in a way reflect the present position of the German government, uh, Angela Merkel's position is not surprisingly the CDU, CSU, traditionally the parties which are also closest to business together with the Free Democrats. And again, the Free Democrats are also probably on a pro-China, uh, China critical spectrum closest to the pro-China league or the pro-China end of the spectrum. The most skeptical on China are the Greens uh, and uh, the Social Democrats. Uh, and the least critical of China, perhaps, apart from the CDU, CSU and Free Democrats, uh, who sort of reflect this pro-business strand in German attitudes and policies towards China, 
But beyond that, least critically interestingly are the, the Linke, so the party on the extreme left, the successor party of the former uh, Communist Party in East Germany, and the AfD, the populist right-wing party. They tend to be sort of uh, least uh, critical of what's happening in China. I think a lot of that really has to do and reflects the fact that both those parties tend to take a, a more sympathetic view towards Russia. And again, that has to do with the German past and the East German connection of both the Linke and the RFD parties. So that gives you, I hope, an impression of where the parties stand on China. Well, thank you. It's quite a complicated picture, but I think you've explained it as clearly as you can. Um, just looking a bit more widely at the Asian situation, there was a meeting fairly recently between Germany's defence and foreign ministers and their Japanese counterparts. And then after that, they agreed to send a German battleship to do joint exercises in Asia. Is Germany becoming more friendly to Japan as it becomes less friendly, as it were, to China? Uh, certainly, the, the cooperation with Japan, the relationship with Japan is becoming closer. Uh, as we, we explained before, you know, to say Germany is becoming less friendly to China is perhaps too simplistic. Uh, the critical voices are increasing uh, and they will continue to uh, increase, uh, but at the same time, you have this strong economic relationship. So it's not, uh, you know, moving away from China towards Japan. But it's really moving close to Japan, certainly, to the extent possible. Now, the relationship between Japan and Germany has long been basically very cooperative and friendly. In fact, I remember that one of the first German ambassadors to Japan in the 1960s already said that the problem with the German-Japan relationship, then still West Germany, was that there were no problems. You know, the relationship was basically very unconflictual. And that still continues to some extent, you know, it's a, it's a close, friendly, but also a relationship where you don't do all that much together, really, in practical terms. And that is changing somewhat now, and the most recent meeting is indeed an expression of those changes. And the changes are driven really by diplomatic, political and security aspects. You know, the economic and commercial aspects, that's the working quite well anyway. I mean, the, the usual conflicts, uh, which you always have in close commercial relations, are also issues. But that relationship is uh, evolving in a very satisfactory way. The new elements are in the political and security realm. And now it includes, includes for instance, intelligence sharing between Germany and Japan. There recently was an agreement on that. Talking about this naval unit, this frigate, which Germany is going to send to uh, East Asia and through the South China Sea. Um, you know, Germany really is a latecomer there. And this is the third attempt to do so. I mean, the, the third time Germany uh, seriously tries to do this. And the first time was actually vetoed, it seems, by the Chancellor herself. She didn't want to have this kind of display of uh, military presence of Germany in East Asia. And then a second effort last year was killed by the pandemic. No, so now that's the third time and Germany is in a way following in the tracks of France or Britain who have done that already in the past. So that's not a big deal in itself, but it is a sign that Germany's security policy is shifting and Germany is beginning to take a closer interest in those terms, uh, diplomatic and security policy terms of the Indo-Pacific. One last question before we finish, Hans, and it's about the Belt and Road Initiative. 
a lot of the goods that China exports to Europe arrive in Germany in ports such as Hamburg. What's the attitude in Germany towards the BRI? Um, well, you know, officially the end of the uh, belt, I always get the two confused, it's a bit confusing, but the belt in fact is the, the railway connection between China and Europe. The end of the belt is Duisburg, which is a huge inland port uh, in the Ruhr area. And uh, in a way what's happening in Duisburg uh, tells you the attitude of Germany towards the BRI. Duisburg, the city government and the local business are absolutely gang-ho about this Belt and Road Initiative and the economic, economic opportunities this provides for the region and the city. And this is the case in, in many parts uh, of Germany, particularly, you know, the, the, the ports um, and the areas where Chinese companies have started uh, to invest. Uh, there's a lot happening at the local level, both between local governments and China and between business and their Chinese counterparts, uh, which reflects this sense, continuing sense of huge economic opportunity, which cannot be missed. Yes, we understand things may become more difficult and we understand that we may have been a bit blue-eyed about China in the past, but it's just to be, it's just too tempting to be missed. And this attitude you find at the central level, at the federal level, you know, the business associations, despite all the shift we've talked about earlier on, this more realistic assessment of China, you have this sense you cannot miss out on China. And there are now many, many activities at the grassroots, which also reflect these, the growing economic presence of China in Germany, not least through the Belt and Road Initiative. Well, thank you, Hans. That was Professor Hans Moore, a senior associate fellow at the Mercator Institute for China Studies in Berlin. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute, and you can find out more about our activities on our website, which is SOAS, that's S-O-A-S dot A-C dot U-K. Alternatively, you can type SOAS China Institute into a search engine and it should pop up straight away. But until next time, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team.